Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1077, air date June 28th, 2022. Good evening, everyone. It's Dr. Shiva Ayadure. We're going to wait for people to join. But today we're doing a conversation and a call in. People can call in. Um, when it's appropriate. Hey, John, can you just lower your volume over there? Because I'm hearing feedback from you. Um, but we're going to be doing a call-in show shortly. And, and we're going to be having an open discussion about this topic today, which is a conversation about pro-life and pro-choice. And we really want to have a conversation. We want to make this a call-in event. And when I put up the number, don't call in now. Um, we want to have an open di dialogue and we really want to go beyond left and right. And uh, that's what we want to do. So we want to wait until people come in and and we want to invite everyone to call in. But we also have a round table of people. Let me just bring people in. We have uh, men and women of all different backgrounds, uh, of different religious backgrounds, different um, uh, uh, ethnic backgrounds, uh, different sexual proclivities. Um, all different ba ba backgrounds here, and uh, people of different racial backgrounds, mixed race, non-mixed race. So it's a pretty uh, broad background of people, and we can have more. Now, obviously, we're looking for all of you to participate, but the goal is we're going to review. A couple of days ago, I did a video talking about the hypocrisy of the, the labeling of people as pro-life and pro-choice and how it was actually creating an unfortunate di dynamic of splitting um, left and right, black and white, um, working people. And so what we want to do today is really have a discussion about where you can participate. And uh, first, we're going to review some of the topics that I covered last week. And then we're going to have an open discussion. And I'll put the phone number up. And we want to hear from you guys, because we believe that it's time to really have a conversation about this so we can get over all the nonsense and really focus on what the real issues are. Um, uh, as so let me just jump into what I covered last week. So if you remember, uh, last week, what I shared was that um, the agenda of that talk was we reviewed the hypocrisy of pro-life, the hypocrisy of pro-choice. We also went to the root cause of what the big issues are. Uh, what's the path forward? And really asking the question, are people ready to think? Our movement for truth, freedom and health really asks a fundamental question. Do people want to think? Or do they want to be manipulated by labeling, by um, essentially narratives, uh, what the media does, what the courts do, and then all of us are drawn into some uh, very, very pre-organized uh, discussion. So in that discussion, I went through and I also shared with you the importance of the Foundations of Systems course, why it is the only vehicle on the planet Earth to teach people how to think. Uh, we talked about the interconnection between truth, freedom, and health that in order to really understand any issue scientifically, we have to have freedom of discourse, which leads us to do science, which finds out what's right for our bodies, um, um, our infrastructure, et cetera. And that allows us to participate in fighting for freedom and truth. And um, in this context, we also shared with many of you that we want people to learn how to think. And you can, we've made this book free. You just have to pay for shipping and handling. 
And we also invited many of you to come to our orientation. Every Thursdays, 11 a.m. and 8 p.m., our movement uh, invites you to have a direct orientation with me. So all of that's up there. Let me just uh, put some uh, hello notes. We have people from different parts uh, calling us. Um, finally, people say some brains, pro-life all the way. Uh, excellent video, someone said, very helpful. Um, greetings. So we have people coming in. Very nice to have you. And so anyway, let me, uh, so what we also did was we went in, into that and we went into the hypocrisy, okay? So on the pro-life side, so by the way, we're not talking about the hypocrisy of, of the pro-life movement or the pro-choice movement. We're talking about these labels. That's what we want to get very, very clear. So it's not to attack anyone personally or your views, but we want to really talk about these labels, which we think are very interesting labels where each group is put into this very righteous mode. But the typically the pro-life model uh, believes, by the way, save the baby before birth. And I made it very clear in my conversation as a biologist that it's absolutely unequivocal, unequivocal that life begins at conception. You can't really get around that. It's a biological fact. Forget even anything religious, but it's a uh, as a biologist, it's a biological fact. So um, that's the, sort of the scientific position on that. But the pro-life people want to really talk about save the baby before birth. The other thing is ensure. Um, but what we wanted to talk about, or we want to talk about, when you look at the word pro-life, um, what are some of those attributes that we would talk about pro-life beyond that? Well, I think pro-life would mean the life of the mother. Is it, it how we want to, We would also a movement that was truly pro-life would say, "Hey, what about what the mom is eating?" Is she eating healthy foods? What is her condition before and during birth, right? So maybe the mom is in her 20s or 30s. What's her life like before that? So the 30 years before the baby's born, what does that look like by way of example? Also, a pro-life, truly being pro-life would be you want to ensure the newborn has access to great health, right? Non-GMO food, organic foods, clean water, clean air, clean uh, foods, right? This would also be part of this pro-life um, rubric. The mother should also be able to provide great maternal care. That would be pro-life, wouldn't it? And then we talked about uh, ensure that the family and the child get basic needs and a decent quality of life. That's pro-life. For example, access to baby formula if, if needed. Um, and we know what's, what happened with that. Um, we would also consider pro-life being that we don't want to support imperialist wars, right? If you're pro-life, how could you say you're pro-life? You're great to make sure the baby's saved before birth, baby's born, and then the 18-year-old kid born into a poor family gets to go off halfway around the world and kill brown people, yellow people, uh, black people, uh, God knows for what reason, except to help a few elites um, you know, mine more lithium, for example, right? So that would be pro-life. No child trafficking. That should be part of pro-life. And infrastructure, because without infrastructure, how is that baby going to have a fair shot at survival and success, all right? So this is what we said would be truly pro-life. And we marked out that we'd also wanna make sure that there would be uh, allowed time for the mother and child after birth to have a good life. So the mother could take care of the child, maybe time is set aside. And this would be a very important period because it's a very important period for child development. So I just want everyone to look at that. Um, and I just wanna to go to our panel here uh, we'll, we'll be introducing them shortly. Uh, any other things we've left up out on pro-life? John, Crystal, Suresh, Emily, Ken? I think it's pretty good, right? And any one of you have anything else that we would consider pro-life? 
Um, so Dan Church says, amazing. That is extremely basic info. It's a huge upgrade in thinking to most. Thanks, Dan. Okay. Right. So this is what we would call pro-life. However, we, again, it's no personal attack. However, the quote-unquote pro-life movement. Um, oh, by the way, we also talk about ensure mom is able to produce good, healthy breast milk. That would be pro-life. Okay. However, the pro-life movement focuses on this one or, you know, important thing. Don't kill the baby before birth. It's murder. That really is what the pro-life movement, none of these issues are really part of the pro-life movement. I, at least I haven't seen it. Okay. Um, uh, someone said uh, here, for example, Flint, Michigan water is not pro-life. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, the tribe. Perfect. All right. So we talked about, so this label pro-life sounds very righteous pro-life, but it's really about this. It's really not about all the things that occur, let's say 30 years before the baby's born in the case of a mother, and maybe the 80 years that the baby lives after. So it doesn't look at that 110 year period. It's looking at that one year period, nine months. It's about 1% of the things that lead to the birth and the life after. But from a system standpoint, this would be pro-life. You're looking at all the different things and we could probably add more, all right? Then we talked about, in that talk, I said, what does the pro-choice movement say? And, and we would say, what would pro-choice really look like? Well, first of all, we've got to define what we mean by choice. For example, as I'll sh share with you shortly, economics are really forcing the decision of many of the mothers um, to not have a child or have a child. Um, and is that really a choice? So is choice for just the bourgeois women or is it for all women? Very, very, very important question because choice means, pro-choice means you actually have a choice, all right? And rich persons can be quote unquote pro-choice, but a poor person is really not making a choice, are they? Especially when you look at these stats. 75% are poor or low income, destitute. 39% are poor whites, 28% are poor blacks, and 25% of that, if you work out the math, are poor Hispanics. Most of them are religiously affiliated, which means likely they have some backing which is against uh, killing life. Family size, they already had a child, 60% had a child, and most are uh, six-year-old, they're not in the teens. So when you really look at it, you can see how much income is key to this, all right? So we have to ask again, are these pro-choice people are so fighting hard, shouldn't they really be fighting for choice? Is there pro-choice? Okay, that was the question, which means you'd have to overcome these significant issues. And then we talked about if people are pro-choice, well, they should also be supporting the choice of what you put on or in your body. Well, many of the pro-choice people were absolutely fine with everyone being forced vaccinated, if you remember that. That was absolutely fine with the pro-choice. They were absolutely fine with government mandates on masks. They wanted people to be forced to put stuff on their body and in their body. Let's not forget that. And that was just a year ago. The pro-choice people, uh, most of them have no regard for people being able to choose how to protect themselves, guns or no guns. And most of the pro-choice people um, want everyone to go to public schools. Many of them are wealthy enough they can send their kids to private schools. So the pro-choice movement really comes down to women should have the right to abort, my body, my choice, but sort of my body, my choice, except when you talk about vaccines and masks, all right? 
So that's pro-choice. And what we discussed in that conversation that we had was that neither the pro-choice movement, um, Mogik Mama says I'm pro-choice. Great to have you. We hope you'll call in. Okay. Uh, Anthony Singale say RFK is not pro-choice. So hi from Calgary. Great to have you. But we then discuss if we really want to talk about pro-life and pro-choice or if these labels are being promoted, what are the root causes? And we went into doing a detailed scientific systems analysis. And we said, look, when you really look at this, no one is discussing in either of this conversation on sort of pro-life, pro-choice, income inequality. We're not discussing the two American pies that have been created over the last 50 years. We're not talking about the lack of infrastructure that's in this country. We're not talking about these children are being denied clean air, clean food, clean water for all. Pro, neither pro-choice or pro-life movement really bring this up in the discourse. We're not talking about the destruction of the water system, the healthcare system, the transportation systems. And we're not talking about the, the lack of real systems education to find the real problem and solutions. And what we are doing is giving these labels, pro, anti, left, right, pro-choice, um, pro-life, which are really leading to narratives for working people to fight among each other. And that's what's happening right now in real time. Once again, those in power have everyone fighting against each other. And it's fundamentally, we talked about, it's to distract working people from uniting and forging a bottom-up movement. And finally, it's distract working people forgetting they're being robbed. And we talked about these buckets they put people in. People are put into the establishment, loves to have people in the left wing, the right wing, becoming apathetic and isolationist, or people taking guns and going to schools and shooting people. They love people being in these buckets. They want people on the left, pro-choice, people on the right, quote-unquote pro-life, fighting among each other like it's happening. And they surely definitely want people just checking out and just you know, putting their head in the sand. And they love it when a young kid who's 18 or 17 goes, picks up a gun and shoots people because they can use this domestic terrorist to shut down free speech and for people the right to protect themselves. They do not want people building a bottoms up movement. So and we talked about what is a path forward. We gave people the example of what really occurred in the 1900s when people rose up in these movements, women fighting for labor rights. And it was these movements that really led to this, where infrastructure got built, elimination of child labor, okay, water systems, which really led, for example, to the, to the lowering of inf infectious diseases, which is, by the way, we teach this in our course to everyone. Everyone should get off their butts and take this course if you're serious about truly going beyond left and right. Long before the measles vaccine came, 99% of measles infant mortality was wiped out, but that was because of these movements bottoms up working class movements, which resulted in infrastructure. And during this period, 1940 to 1970, those movements resulted in working people striking and fighting, which led to the American pie growing. As GDP grew, so did the American pie. Once people stopped fighting, and we'll talk more about this, how we got here, the American pie split into little crumbs for working people and a big apple pie for the 1%, for the doofuses like Elon Musk and the doofuses like Jeff Bezos, okay? Who frankly haven't created anything. Most of what they did was stolen from elsewhere. So during this period, GDP has grown, but it has only helped a few and not the rest of it. And this is not in the pro-life, pro-choice conversation. That's what we talked about. And we gave by way of example, 
During this period, 52 million strikes, 52 million workers participating in 11 million strikes when everyone's income grew. And during this period, very few strikes, very few workers on the ground fighting when everyone's income got destroyed. Okay, so that's what we talked about. All right. And we asked the question, are people ready to think? Do people really want to think or do people want to be getting into this pro-choice, pro-life hypocritical nonsense when neither the pro-life people are pro-life and neither the pro-choice people are pro-choice. And I was talking to one of our uh, panelists today and he said, I'm just so sick and tired of this pro-life, pro-choice stuff. And he's a very devout Catholic. Okay. So we also have, uh, so let me introduce our panelists. We have um, Suresh. Um, uh, uh, Suresh is out of New York, originally from India. We have Crystal, comes from a background of uh, Korean American. We have, and is an entrepreneur. Suresh is an IT person. Ken is an esthetician. And uh, Ken is out in uh, Boston. Emily's down in Tennessee. She's a, a traveling nurse. Uh, John is a, a videographer, a devout Catholic. And we have Jill Jones, who's a mother, who's not showing her picture because she's taking care of her child right now while she's on top of this. So we have three women, three men, and we'll have a conversation. So I want to, uh, and then by the way, we will be opening our phone line shortly so you guys can call in. But I want to, um, and, and by the way, all of the people on the call are uh, Truth, Freedom, and Health Warrior Scholars. Each one of them has gone through our training program. So what you're going to hear tonight is a very systems perspective beyond left and right. And, and hopefully, it'll inspire all of you to um, get involved for you guys to also um, get trained. So Maria uh, says... Marie Tempore says, war, our, uh, our profit. Yep, that's never brought up in the pro-life, pro-choice uh, discussion at all, okay? So, um, uh, so here's somebody else. They'll say, Alina, Lucia, say, I'm liberal with others, but conservative myself. I'll go mile to save an unborn for sure. Okay, so let's start with um, uh, Ken Fielding. Ken, what, what are the thoughts you have to share about this conversation. Ken, go ahead. Let me unmute. Go ahead, Ken. Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing is um, people seem to be get, getting stuck in like a reductionist sort of mode um, and focusing just on uh, certain issues of, of the pro-life, pro-choice um, discussion, I guess, is the best way to put it. Okay, so you're saying people just get lost in the pro-life and the, we're not discussing these bigger things. Right. Okay, so let's go over to, um, let's bring on uh, uh, Crystal. Crystal, some initial observations from reviewing last week's uh, discussion. Go ahead, Crystal. You have to unmute yourself. Yep, go ahead. Yeah, I, I agree with Kenneth. I think there's a lot of things uh, that aren't being spoken of, which you just went through on your PowerPoint very clearly. Uh, that helps bring some context to the discussion so that we're not being labeled with very, um, you know, a narrative to a definition to a word that's being made for people and and uh, people I that I would never think would jump on a bandwagon either way are feeling, I think, pressured to look at the situation and say, well, what side am I on? Uh, so they feel like they have to put themselves in a bucket almost, it seems like. Yeah, Chris, so you were saying, I mean, you sort of inspired having this. You said that right after this 
court ruling, you were getting all these crazy emails, right? What was that experience like for you as a, you know, I mean, you're, you're a mother, you have a child and you saw all this, what you call nonsense occurring, right? So can you share with us that experience? It actually reminded me of a video I seen of you when you were on this, you know, on the campaign trail and a pastor had asked you a question and you brought up a lot of topics. And I said, wow, those are things that I've always wondered, but wasn't able to articulate. And you, you brought a lot of good points up. And um, so I really appreciated that, and which is why I brought it up. So at, when I see people that I, I would think, you know, normally wouldn't talk on such a topic with such conviction, um, feeling like they have to choose one of those two sides. Like you have to either be, uh, you know, for choice or you have to be for life. I don't see why we can't be for both and uh, redefine some of these uh, labels, if you will. Um, so I feel like that's kind of a discussion you're opening up for people. And um, I had some good conversations with Jill, who's now on the call uh, last night about some of these topics as well. But um, I think maybe I'll wait for that. <laughs> so. Yeah, we'll, we'll go to you and Jill. That'd be good to share. Let's go to John Medlar. John, tell us your uh, perspective on this. Well, as you as you know, and as you've said, I'm a very, very Catholic person. So it's no, no, no surprise to hear that I'm uh, very much thrilled with the outcome of the Supreme Court that's come down. But like you said, um, uh, the, but like you said, Dr. Shiva, there's many other underlying issues which contribute to the problem beyond simply should uh, the ability to kill your child in the womb be a private medical decision or should it be uh, something that we decry? And I would, and I would say, given, given uh, the severity of the choice being made, even if you're on the, even if you're legally say that, oh, it should just be a private decision. Well, why are so many people given being pushed towards such a horrible, horrible decision? You know, if you're if you're pro-choice, shouldn't we have better choices? Like, and if you're and from from my perspective as the um uh, as a as a very very pro-life person, I also agree with everything else you listed there. We should have all of those of those things in the church. We would call that creating a culture of life to replace what we live in now, which is a culture of death. It's a culture of death in many ways. The fact that not only are so many people feeling driven to kill their kids in the womb, but they're also you know there's there's lead in the water and nobody cares. Human life in general is being treated as as like just something we, that we can just abuse and throw away in in so many different ways. Uh, sorry, Dr. Shiva, you're muted. So, John, you bring up an interesting point. I think as a, I know you're a devout Catholic. I don't, I think if, I mean, this is a interesting question I'm going to ask. Maybe it's not an appropriate one, but may, maybe it is. And I'll put myself out there. But I think, uh, Christ would have considered all of these aspects pro-life, would you not? Oh, yeah, I think so, too. And again, I think these are all part of what we talk about in the, I think these would all be in line with what we talk about in the church of creating a culture of life to replace the culture of death. You can't have a culture of life without all of these things you just listed. Yeah. All right. That's a very nice perspective, John. Thank you for providing that. Um, let's go to uh, Emily. Emily. Emily's a traveling nurse. Uh, Emily's a... Uh, uh, has, um, I mean, as a perspective um, from a caretaker, Emily. So I'm sure you've had to deal with this. Go ahead, Emily. 
Um, hi, Dr. Shiva. Hi, everyone. Um, my perspective is that it is a decision that every individual has to make themselves. Um, but there is also an appropriate time, as we learn in um, the foundations of systems, that there is the right time to make the right decision for the biggest impact and to prevent further catastrophe. And I think there is a very opportune time to make the decision whether you're pro-life or you're pro-choice at that opportune time because there's plenty of time to think about it. Everyone, every female, most every female is born with their eggs that develop. So they have them their entire life. Um, they have the opportunity to make that choice. There's many other means of preventing um, conception from occurring. Um, that if you're really pro-life or pro-choice, you should consider those decisions way ahead of time if you don't want to participate in being responsible for killing another human person. Um, because it is scientific that conception happens at the time, both a living cell and a living sperm, an egg and a living sperm join. And then the womb creates that structure and storage place for the nurturing of the embryo to actually develop into another full human being. Um, so life, I feel, begins way beyond conception. It begins... It's infinity, really, when you really boil it down to a system's perspective, because both a cell is living in another human being prior to conception. Yeah, it's great, Emily. And, and by the way, that's Emily down in Tennessee. Emily's a nurse and Emily's perspective comes as a nurse, someone who studied biology, someone who studies medicine. Let's and the other, input, the other input I would just like to add, having been a, a caregiver, is that one simple decision made at a time of urgency and not having forethought about it when you had plenty of time to think about it is a lifelong decision that women especially have to live with. And I've never as a caregiver encountered a woman who didn't regret that decision. And I've cared for many. Yeah, it's, Emily, it's interesting you say that. I think in the when I was on my campaign trail, I think this pastor asked me that. I had this whole thing, pro-life. And I said, I have not met a woman who, if they chose the path of abortion, did not feel horrible. You know, it's not like women who made those decisions feel great. So, I, at least in my experience. But I yeah, think it's so, an important point. So, so the money I think that our country spends on monetizing both um, the adoption agencies, the abortion clinics, um, fertility, and morning after pills should that money should be spent for education way ahead of time, so that children have the opportunity to actually make informed and educated decisions and have a fully informed consent of the outcome of that decision, both pro-life or pro-choice. Great, Emily. Thank you. So let's go over to uh, Suresh. Suresh, uh, you come from a very different background. So why don't you give us your perspective and tell, go ahead. Yeah, I, I uh, have been watching um, a lot of discourse happening uh, on social media, which is good. Um, I see people getting mad at each other, um, which is what I want to focus on. Don't let people divide us. Uh, we need to unite. Uh, 
let's have a discourse uh, let's not get mad at each other let's have the interconnection with each other build relationship learn from each other educate each other um so that's how truth will emerge uh, and health is not going to come out of um a magic law or a magic exercise or diet um or magic medicine uh it's a complex thing so it, it needs to be talked about um and uh people who want us divided are probably having a great laugh uh, having drinks enjoying laughing at us uh look how we have successfully divided people um but um what i want to tell people is we need to unite uh we need to talk to each other build relationship build community um so that's how we, that's what i wanted to share all right thanks suresh i think suresh point is which is what we want to sort of get people in the discourse is how does this discourse advance the interests of working people or does it hurt the interests of working people how does people at the, each other's throats whatever side they're on advance the interests of working people and can we have a dialogue on this to really understand what these labels mean um so crystal mentioned that Jill and her have had discussions so Jill um Jill's taking care of her child as she's uh having this conversation so Jill Tell us sort of what Crystal and you discussed in your perspective on this Jill go ahead. Yeah, we discussed many things um and I think one of the things is that we don't see enough support for women to become mothers in general. For my children every time I found myself um with child, my first thought was like how are we going to provide for this child economically? I didn't have the first experience like yes, I'm so happy. The first thought has always been okay, budgeting and it's pretty crazy that a woman has to first go to and analyzing her economic situation before she can experience the joy of I'm having a life or think about anything else that's always been the first thought for me and I think that's unfortunate and I know I'm not alone in that and so I think that on both sides they want to have the woman to feel supported but whatever the conditions are that a woman seeks abortion those conditions are never solved through the abortion those conditions remain and those are the conditions that you've listed that we need to really address and elevate people in general in order to eliminate those conditions so that people can actually have the choice and they can pursue family and they can pursue good quality of life because we're not allowed that in this current space and it feels like it's wrong to have a child and that shouldn't be a feeling that any woman experiences we should be able to experience the joy first and then you figure out the rest and it's not a crisis though for many that's what they experience and that's the problem is this is a very emotionally triggering event and there should be more love around the whole idea of bringing life or making your own determination of what you're going to do and that's the problem is so we're not able to experience that basic joy because of all of the things that we're thrown with in this modern society of this power profit control model that we're stuck in right now. Yeah, Jill, it's interesting you say that. I don't think if the I don't think there's any discussion. I think the fundamental thing is there's no discussion about the economics at all. And whether it's bio, you know, biologically, right? You look at every um you know, women uh, are probably have to by nature care about security right because they're bringing a child in is there enough to feed the child with the child have shelter all these very very fundamental things 
And you look at the conditions today, young people can't buy a home. Uh, there's clearly a class war of sorts here. Elon Musk can have 10 kids. Doesn't have to think about it. His father owned a diamond uh, emerald mine exploiting black people in South Africa, which is never talked about. So he never has to think about how many kids he's going to have, or whether he's going to have a kid or not, right? But you have huge amounts of young people, millennials, they can't even think about getting a house and for that matter, getting married and having a child because of the economics. So I don't see the pro-life or pro-choice people ever addressing that fundamental issue. So I think what you're bringing up is a very, very, you know, I think men probably cannot fully appreciate this what a woman's mind goes through, I'm going to have this child. Am I going to have enough to take care of this kid? So that's why I think when you look at this, most men probably fully can't understand this, that 75% of people aborting are destitute or very poor. And you know, low income is really probably very poor and poor is probably really, really poor given the way they manipulate statistics. So this, it's, it's pretty amazing that this is never in the discussion. I find it amazing that none of the religious people really talk about this or the pro-choice people talk about this. So what I want to do is, does anyone have any other points to make? Because I want to open up the phone lines so we can take some calls. Any other points on what we covered? Well, Dr. Shiva, you made the, the, the comment about how young people can't, can't even think about being afford to, to buy a home. And that goes into the fact that people in my generation and then upcoming generations, Gen Z and Gen Alpha, um, uh, economically, <laughs> economically, we're screwed. We're, we're expected to basically take on massive amounts of college debt just to like, you know, just to, just to, you know, work at Starbucks or McDonald's. Right. And John, I think, if you look at this graph here, no one talks about this graph. Only our movement has talked about this, that during this period of 1940 to 1980, as people got on the streets and they, we had really bottoms up labor movements, the American pie here grew for everyone. If I were to draw a graph, everyone's wages went up as people fought and as productivity improved. During this period, when the Republicans and Democrats worked to destroy unions and the Democrats took over unions top down, the right wing said, if you said working people unite or if you formed a union, you must be a communist and workers unite meant communism. That was taken advantage of by, in the 50s, by the way, where the Democratic Party really took over all the unions top down. And the Republicans said, if you if you join unions, you must be a communist. And what happened during this period? During this period, we see uh, only very few strikes. I mean, an order of magnitude, 10 times, 10 to 15 times less strikes during this period. And this is when the American spy split into two. During the last 50 years, in the last two years, 600 billionaires, you know, quadrupled their wealth to 2.3 trillion. So you have this one big American pie for 0.01% and a little American pie for the other 99% of people. In fact, if you're making $50,000 today, you should be making around $100,000, $120,000. So we have two American pies, less labor movement, more you know differences among people. These people probably have to think about, as Jill just said about having children, these people can have as many children as they want. And many of these people here, the bourgeois liberal elite, are the ones who talk about pro-choice all day. Yeah, you can have choice all day you want. But over here are working people who are being decimated, and they're the ones who actually have no choice. So that's our analysis that we did. Um, 
our movement did that analysis to really bring a much more holistic view. So we get over, as Suresh said, beyond people at each other's throats. Because as you look at this graph again, the establishment want people fighting each other so that their pie grows and the pie of working people are fighting over pro-life, pro-choice, which terms really don't mean much, as we just talked about, their wages keep going down. And this is never talked about the economics. So let me, um, let me uh, bring, I'm going to put up right now, and anyone's welcome to call in and contribute, ask questions to any of the panelists. So you can call in to 617-631-6874, and it'll come right, right to my phone. Um, and then we will take your call and we'll uh, listen to you. So if anyone has a question or comment or wants to contribute, feel free to just call at 617-631-6874. So we wait for your calls and we'll continue. It can be whichever side you want, whether you just want to make a observation, um, et cetera. Yeah, Maria says, let's come together. Um uh, uh, JC Denton says, call in, y'all. <laughs> All right. So this is a time for people, whichever side you're on, or if you don't want to be on any side, if you want to support this, to let your voice be heard. Because as Suresh said, we want to have conversations. We do not want to have people feeling they have to be boxed in. By so the way, Dr. Shiva, while we're waiting for the first person, um, I'm actually very interested in uh, Jason's question here. What about the poorest people in the world? They still have children and raise them, right? That's a very interesting point because um, uh, you have um, like pe people in even in poor, poor rural countries tend to have very large families. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Let's talk about that. So one of the things you see, I think you're bringing up a very good point, John. So one is the economic infrastructure. Right. The other is this non tangible infrastructure. So in India, for example, and, and this is going to change, mark my words. In India, there's typically extended families. You, you, when you're, you have, I mean, you have your grandparents, they live in the same household. The parents, if they're going to work, the parents, because the grandparents are there, don't have to, they have daycare by the grandparents. The kids are taken care of by the grandparents. In the United States, we had the nuclearization of the family that took place really post-World War II which was really designed by the consumer packaged goods companies. So make sure that the grandparents and the grand, uh, mother or the grandparents got their washer and dryer. The father and mother got their washer and dryer and the kid after grew up got there. So you had three washers and dryers and three sold, right? The nuclear family did that. There was, you didn't have the sharing. Many of these countries where people are quote unquote poor, right? And don't have that infrastructure. They have this other, uh, community infrastructure. So anyway, someone's calling in here from National City, California. Hi, who is this? Can you introduce yourself and ask your question or make your comment? This is Maria Canistra. Hi, and Maria. I'm calling from Imperial Beach, California, and I'm a warrior scholar with uh, your Dr. Shiva Truth Freedom Health Movement. Yes, Maria, tell us what your question yeah. or comment is. My comment, I... The way I was brought up and what I do believe for pro-choice, but I have known two people in my life that, one, she did choose to have an abortion because of due to economics. And it was uh, quite unfortunate. She did regret it later on. And um, 
that she felt that that's what she needed to do. And um, I knew someone else that actually had one as a form of birth control, which I do not agree with. So I'm, uh, that was, that was my experience. And I've always believed that if you make that decision and you get pregnant, then, uh, I am for having the baby if you're able to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the model in some of the most people who are even pro-abortion, they say it should be very rare, you know, in the rarest of circumstances to save, let's say, the mother's life. They used to. The phrase was safe, legal, and rare. Now the, the most shocking thing about today's discourse is it's gone from, uh, at least on the, the pro-choice side, I don't think the pro-life side has moved that much, but it's interesting how they've shifted the conversation from simply safe, legal, and rare versus banning abortions to banning abortions versus no limitations whatsoever. It, you had uh, the governor of Virginia being like, well, if uh, the baby is born alive, then the, the mother and the doctor will have a conversation about what to do next. It'll be kept comfortable, but then they'll come to a decision. It's like a very, very ghoulish, very ghoulish talk going on. And then the, the shout your abortion people. Yes. So, uh, I think that that's an issue too. Is the shout the shout your abortion, but we don't ever give the women. Oh, what is shout your abortion? Can you? It's 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 the. Wait wait, wait wait Let Jill. Let's, go Jill. ahead. Go ahead, Jill. Go ahead, Jill. Yeah. So what they do is they empower women to shout their abortion so that they may take pride in their decision and about owning it, taking ownership of the decision and being proud of it. But we don't give any voice to the women who have suffered as a result of that abortion. These women's voices are remain silent. If they regret their abortion, the pro-choice does not give them a space to speak. And all the women who I've known who've experienced it, they have regret and they have pain and they have more problems post-abortion than pre. So where's their space for them to be cared for? Where is their voice? They're not allowed to say, hey, I got an abortion, I regret it. No, we only give the women who can shout their abortion with pride the voice. And I think that we need to lift up the voices of all the women, whether they are pro or pro-choice or pro-life, because we need to hear the stories because so many women suffer. And for instance, a woman I knew- Lois, Dr. Shiva, we'll bring you in shortly. Okay, just hold on one second. A woman that I knew, she Hello. was already married with children and she Hold couldn't it. afford the next child. So she chose to terminate that pregnancy and she started the process. It was far along. So it had to be days, a day, more than one day process. They had to induce the labor and get it going. And she immediately regretted it, but it was too late. And she cried and she cried and she cried. And she never got over that trauma. She ended up turning to substance abuse. Her children were taken from her. They were raised by another family. And now one of her two children is currently missing as a teen. We have no idea where the mother is and we have no idea where one of the children is. And this is a result of her mental collapse as a result of that, basically that forced pro-choice decision that she had to make. And why don't we get to hear more of these Shortly. stories? Hold we need to care for these people, not silence them, but raise them up, all of them. Thanks, Jill. I from Italy. Go ahead, Danny. What's your question or comment? Go ahead, Danny. Yes, I was following your show on, uh, on the internet uh, about the abortion. And uh, I just want to say I'm, I'm not Catholic, I'm Buddhist, 
and uh, killing somebody in early, uh, a very early state is just killing a bunch of uh, cells. It's not an individual, it's nothing. So I don't know what the big deal is. Uh, I mean, abortion is for, yeah, for the mother, it's uh, she's losing a child or something like that. But, you know, first of all, there are too many people in the world anyway. And um, these days to have some uh, children, it's uh, it's kind of bad because the world situation is not good at all. And uh, I don't know, people are coming in to suffer more than uh, have a happy life. And... Uh, if it's taken, you know, if, if the, the, the woman is uh, basically raped and uh, she does not want to have a child, I mean, she should be able to do it even after two, three months. It doesn't have to be immediately. But um, I understand that the remorse and everything else from, uh, you know, from the... <clears throat> religious kind of stuff it's uh, it's it's, uh, it's bad for uh, for a woman but really they don't kill anybody besides the child that would be born is going to be born somewhere else yes yeah, so, he has to be born so danny thanks uh, for your perspective so just to summarize yeah. danny's basically said he's a buddhist right and in your yeah. view that there is it's just a bunch of cells, right? There is no life yeah. there, so what's the big deal? I mean, the cells are alive, but, uh, you know, they're cells. Right, they and what's the big deal? They don't have anything. Either. Right, right, but from your point, the cells, uh, it's not a, a life form, it's just cells. And, right. And uh, so there's really no big deal, and, um, you know, there's enough, there's a lot of people in the world, so why should, you know, yeah. the, the woman should have the choice, right? And that is sort of, yeah, so I, th I think so. I think what's good about what you just shared is this is what you just articulated is sort of the position of the, I want to put it into the quote-unquote pro-choice movement, right? Which means not the pro-choice movement that we have said, if you were pro-choice, that you're giving people choice for all the decisions. I think one of the interesting things that I want to ask you, Danny, is... Um, in a in a world where let's say the women uh, knowing it goes back to Jill's comment, let's say you had a hundred women, and all women in that situation knew that if they had a child, the child could get they could get you know two years off to take care of the child. They could get all the food, education, all the infrastructure that child needed. Um, could have excellent infrastructure. The question to you is, do you think the children, the, the, the woman would make the same decision? That I don't know because I'm not a woman, so I'm, I don't have any ch children. But I think that when a couple want to have a child, they have to think, how's the child coming up? Uh, is he going to be all right? Is he going to be... Uh, I don't know, um, uh, have uh, some uh, uh, difficult uh, problem, autistic or uh, um, whatever, you know. So before having a child, I have to think, 
but that this this stage that there are people just having sex having sex with women and then they leave the woman and uh, they don't give a damn if, uh, if there's a child that's going to be born or anything. So it's, it's only a matter of uh, this man. Like in Ukraine, there, there are a lot of uh, Russians that are raping uh, the Ukraine women and uh, it, they don't care. It's, uh, you know, it's the, the world is alive in the the earth is alive and it's uh, it's getting annoyed with all these things. That's why we have all these uh, earthquakes uh, and uh, people dying all the time. I mean, we are too many. So yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I think you're you're bringing up some interesting theoretical points. You know, the concept of too many people on the earth. When I came here in 1970, yeah. this was promoted the Malthusian idea that. You know, the population is increasing exponentially and we don't have enough food. The idea of Malthus was, has been promoted for 100 years. And yeah. the issue is it's unclear whether Malthus was right, whether that's in fact even true. Some people have postulated yeah. the Earth could actually sustain 100 billion people. No problem. They can if, if the people, first of all, they don't have war. If uh, the food and everything, it's... Uh, enough or it's enough for a lot of people but uh, here with the wars and everything everything is going into greed uh, all the multinational companies are destroying basically the world they're destroying it in uh, in the amazon they're destroying uh, now in uh, africa and so on they don't care they, they kill millions of people every day right so i and, think uh, i think i think um I think, Danny, if you think about the point that you said, I think and goes back to Suresh's, where do we have common meeting ground? So we don't, because I think the point that we're trying to make is that I did in the previous, when you take this pro-life label and pro-choice, you see it right now, people are fighting each other. And these are the same people who are, probably agree with you on both sides, meaning there's devastation for working people. So if you go back to what you said, I think the fundamental issue here is that people should be having a child is something that is a major decision, right? It shouldn't be taken lightly. Yeah. I think everyone here on whichever quote unquote side they're on, I think John would agree with that. I think you would agree with that, right? And I think everyone would agree with that. I think Jill articulated that as a mother, you know, when she had a child, it wasn't like, oh my God, yeah, I'm going to have a child. Right. Uh, why do we want a child or, uh, you know, is right. it going to be all right? Uh, yeah. Right. So so I think that what I'm trying to say is the it's so if you want to it should be very rare when people have abortions because it should be a rare situation. Right. Right. If, if people were, would make yeah. the choice at the right time. Right. And if you look at this data that I shared here, the case that you're talking about is only about four to 12 percent of people where this occurs. Four percent are minors and 12 percent are teens. That's the case. The majority of people who are making the decision to have abortion, as you can see from the U.S. graph here, are poor people who already have a child. It's they already have an income. You know, they, they, they can't sustain that child. The case that you're talking about, the people being raped or Ukraine or all that, if you it's a very small su subset here, very small. It's below. It's in this four to 12 percent range. So I think. 
it's not, I mean, in some ways, we don't want to get into the lowercase pro-choice, pro-life discussion. I think from a system standpoint, we want to have this discourse on what is the real issue here. And I think you're sort of helping saying that it is a major decision and probably both sides would agree that it is a major decision, but it's a very small, relatively a very small minority where this situation takes place, right? If you look at these, mm, right, right? That, that's the point. Yeah, so, I, I live in the United States. I've been living in, uh, in New York, um, California, and uh, I live in Pensacola, Florida. Now I'm in Italy for, for other reasons. But um, in the States, I see that a lot of people, they, all these families, they, they have a bunch of kids. Sometimes they have kids um, out of the, out of the um, family, you know, there's a mother that has two kids from somebody else, and then they're married and they have another kid and so on. And I see that all these kids are left by themselves because, I mean, a typical American family, the mother is, uh, she's not going to cook. She's just opening a can and they go to McDonald's or go to burger or something like that. And uh, all these kids are by themselves. Uh, uh, I don't, the school is not uh, it's not teaching anything because uh, even the past two years, um, you know, people had and you guys have not been going to school. They were yep. studying at home. So anyway, so anyway, and, Danny, uh, I, I think we I have a bunch of other people, but I appreciate your yeah. your point. But I think I think you wouldn't disagree that economics is a big the elephant in the room, right? That's an important part of this yeah. decision. Okay, yes. great. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for calling in. So let's go to, uh, we have someone waiting here. Hi, where are you from? Please let us know where you're from. Sorry for having you wait that long. Hey, how's it going? This, I'm from uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay, what's your name? Can you hear me? Yeah. Gabriel, I've actually called you before, or talked to you before. Okay, go ahead, Gabriel. Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to say, um, like, from my perspective, like, you know, you talk about system science, but I see in society that there's kind of like a, like a minotaur in the maze, and there's kind of a few of them. One of them might be like the criminal element, maybe police. But I think weaponized, like the women have kind of been weaponized as well. My bigger issue is like the Second Amendment. That was the ruling that I cared about. But when I think about like, like when I grew, when I was going through college, like I had a girlfriend that I dated, and she was the sweetest girl, right? And her IUD thing expired a little, like a year earlier than we expected. And she ended up having an atopic pregnancy, right? Fallopian tube, you know? Mm -hmm. And basically she had the abortion pill, which is kind of like a heavier duty morning after pill. But um, I guess what I was going to say is like, later on she basically turned into like this Amber Heard style lady, you know, woman like a complete nightmare. You know what I mean? And totally like psycho, like a huge liar, all that kind of stuff. Right. And you really think about like, well, the abortion thing, how does it affect men? Like, like one, would the abortion thing be as big of a issue today? If we had, if we didn't have inflation, right. If we didn't have a constantly devaluing dollar. And then two, would it be a big, as big of a deal if there weren't so many, you know, women and I, even men, but, you know, I'm just saying like from a man's point of view, if there weren't as many women with all this psychological aberrancy going on, you know what I mean? Where 
they're basically going to use that legal system against you, you know, and it's not like, like, cause in the past men would be the ones that would be primary custody over women. Like they would get preference, preferential custody. Whereas today the women just like almost automatically gets it, even if she's like a drug user or something, you know? So with that being said, you know, I think they've turned, they've kind of weaponized women. They've kind of turned them into another minotaur in the maze that people have to navigate. And then they're thinking, well, shit, do I want to be around? Do I want to have all that go with it? Because it got to the point where I was like, oh my God, if her mom was crazy and she's crazy and her sister's crazy, what happens when I raise this kid? And then she turns out to be like, killing puppies and shit like that. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't even, you know what I'm trying to say? So I I think what you're saying is that the abortion situation has allowed people to use that also in these relationships. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm saying that like, it's a way out for men and a way out from something that is imposed by the government onto them. For example, the, the, the fact that the woman will get custody and then ramrod them through court, you know, like take money from them uh-huh. when they're not even necessarily the best caretaker. And then you, but the thing is the women are only acting that way because they've had this like society raise them to be like these psychos, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, so anyway, I, I think there's and, two different and issues here. The, and then you have the economic issue of inflation and right. that's also created by the government. So you basically have like the, the judicial system, the psychological aberrancies that are being created, and then you got the economic issue. Okay, so let me just take some comments, Gabriel, but thank you for your observation from from others. Thank you. Um, So what do you guys think? Uh, Emily, uh, Suresh, Jill, Jill, uh, what, what this gentleman was just sharing. I think it's true to an extent that um, men do not have enough of a voice in this and that women do use abortions to abuse men. And that's never discussed either. There are women who manipulate and they use their pregnancy or abortion to um, put their will over men and men are not, are not allowed in this time and age to discuss what their perspective is. A lot of men want the child and they don't have a say and the women get the abortion and they're left in grief and it destroys marriages. It destroys relationships and men do have a place in the conversation. For On the flip side, you also have you also have men pressuring their girlfriends to get an abortion because they don't want to be baby daddies. So I think that the, there's so there's 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 uh, two sides of uh, of that coin. I would personally say uh, I would personally say just as I take a pretty harsh stand against abortion itself, I think we should ban deadbeat deadbeat baby daddies and throw them in jail. Well, and to to another point, and it's the same point I have for women, there's an appropriate time to make the decision to procreate. And there's plenty of easy solutions to make that decision prior to conception. And there's a right time to make the decision if you want pro-life or pro-choice. I agree. You should know ahead of time before you're engaged in what creates children, what your decision is, that decisions made before you pursue a relationship. It's not something that just happens. You don't just step in a puddle of being pregnant. You know, you, you have to, there's something that requires it. So we should make these, we should think about this stuff ahead of time and be prepared. Cause like you're saying, I agree. I think the choice is made far ahead of time. So is Dr. Shaby, you're muted. Sorry. 
sorry. My name can is can you? I, no one heard me. I just said, um, can you please make your comment and where you're from? But uh, sorry for having you, have, having to make you wait. Go ahead. Okay, my name is Deborah Lee, and I'm from Bozeman, Montana. And I just wanted to share that I was adopted when I was one day old in 1962 when abortion was not legal. And I am grateful to be alive today and not aborted. And so just to remind people, there is the adoption route. And I know there's a lot of people that can't conceive and would love to have children and adopt children who can't have them. And um, as far as uh, the Buddhist um, philosophy of being able to be born again, you know, somewhere else, for those who believe in that, um, I believe that I was meant to be here at this particular time uh, with the, you know, the parents that I had, with the people that are in my circumference of, um, you know, in this particular time. Oops, I'm sorry. Could you repeat that again? We just had, we just brought a new call. I'm grateful to be alive yeah. today and not aborted. Yep. All right. Thank you for that comment. Let me just bring in our next caller. Thank you very much for your comment and observation. Thank you. Uh -huh. Thank you. Yep. Let's see. Just just very quickly, that's another systems issue that we need to fix. The adoption system in in this country is a total racket. Hi, can you hold on one second? I'm going to bring, be bringing you shortly. Hold on. Hold on one second. We have people calling in. We'll, we'll set up a better system. One second. Excuse me, Dr. Shiva, you're muted. Sure. Yeah, so go ahead. Uh, we have someone from Gloucester. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm a warrior, and I believe that um, life begins at conception. And um, I was listening to Danny, and um, he believed that it was just a clump of cells. And I'm glad I heard that because, you know, I believe that it begins at conception. And if I'm wrong, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't the DNA – isn't that implanted right at conception, the human DNA? Well, yeah. So there have been hundreds of papers written by, you know, scientists on either side, you know, when the sperm hits the ovum uh, within about two to three days, you know, depending on where you want to look at it, there's this, uh, the epithelial forms and you literally have a, a, a being that is independent of the other being, which is the mother. So it is just a material biological fact. There is another being there. Now, um, so it's not just a clump of cells because once this other structure forms, it is an independent living life form that is independent. And obviously it's got, unless it has reptilian DNA or some other DNA, it is a human DNA. It is a human life form and it's at a particular stage. So, um, I have to disagree, unfortunately, uh, with that, but this is a point. We can get into this dialectics, right? 
But I think the conversation that, uh, by the way, thank you. I'm going to take the next caller here, but thank you for your question. Hi, we have someone from Ontario, Canada. Please go. What are your questions? Hello. Right? Yeah, you have to please turn off the background noise. There, the sound is off. Okay, go ahead. Who, who are you and where are you from? My name is Angie. I am in Ontario, Oregon. Hi, Angie. Go ahead. Well, I would like to make a comment to him um, about the pro-life, of course. My religion, I'm very pro-life, but that, that goes out the window. I'm talking about system science. If they could apply that to this, there would be no argument with it. And make sure that the social that is regressing, not progressing, doesn't want to be a baby factory, doesn't want to go out and sell her body type thing. Use the system science to develop a, a system that handles this. And in uh, pro-life, you have a couple and they have to face the fact that that baby they want so bad has to be aborted or the wife dies. There are artificial wounds now. Medical has advanced. That child can be saved. Why can they not use system science and develop a system, a program that can blend pro-life and pro-abortion? Both. That's an interesting question. Great question. So uh, it would involve morals, laws, and et cetera. I mean, it's a complicated one, but it can be done. Yeah, I think. What, what was your name again? And and are are you a Truth, Freedom, and Health warrior also? Well, that would also enter the economics. I can't afford the hundred dollars. Oh, okay. So you should call us. We do scholarships too. Let us call us. Okay, we'll help you out with that. Okay, we, we don't want I'm money 72 to be... and I'm studying uh, nutrition okay. right now to become a nutritional consultant. So I learn a lot from Dr. Shiva. Yeah, so just send an email um, uh, or uh, you can send, call me after this call because this number comes to me and we'll figure out a way to help you. Okay? That would be fantastic. And yeah. if you could help me, I'm not real good at wording, help me in wording this question that this comment yeah so i think what you're saying is a very interesting question what i think you're saying is okay i think if we take a systems approach and we're committed to bringing together working people so there are technologies coming that mm -hmm. are will allow probably to, i mean uh, if you look at the neonatal technology that industry it is growing yeah. explosively they're able to keep babies alive at very, Actually, very young. There is one that I looked into. Cause Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Hi, Honolulu. Just hold one second. I'll bring you in. Okay, hold on. From their both of their bodies, and that is their baby. She does not have to carry it because she doesn't have a womb anymore. It is an artificial womb that she actually wears. I see. I see. Very cool. Well, I think you're bringing up an interesting thing. Technology sometimes mm -hmm. solves these human dialectics in ways we never knew, right? Yes. Like communications. So I think the question is, if a new type of technology comes that, look, what's happening with neonatal, what I wanted to finish up this comment is, I, I, I met a, cert, uh, a neonatologist down in Florida, 
And he was saying it's one of the fastest growing industries because, it's, and he was saying it's very lucrative for him because they have figured out how to keep a kid alive even at, I think, like eight weeks of, or, or I mean, something amazing from the time oh, yes. conception takes place. So that, that date is going to move more and more and more. So what happens when a child can be kept alive at any point after conception? Now, there is no reason not, you can't say, well, I can't keep, I, you know, because there is a way to keep the child alive at any point in that timeline. And, but then it comes down to the economics because let's say you have people just randomly having children without planning. And then these systems allow the child to be born. Who will take care of the child? Will the economics be there? Will the child have healthcare, education, et cetera, right? That becomes yes. a much more fundamental question. But thank you. I'm going to take someone else. Thank you for your observation. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, and, and call me and, and I'll help you out. Thank you. Um, hi, we have someone from Honolulu, Hawaii. Before I go to that, hold on. Who, who Who's calling? Hello? Hi, can you hear me, Dr. Shiva? Yes, who is this? Um, and hi. Who is this? This is Kayla. I'm calling from um, Oahu in Hawaii. Okay. Can you hold on one second before I, um, sure. does anyone have any thoughts about what the woman from Ontario said? Emily, you're a nurse. You deal with all sorts of interesting equipment and situations. Well, I mean, they are doing uterine transplants now, and there is the such thing as having a surrogate mother where they do do the in vitro fertilization and a surrogate mother carries it for the couple and it is their own child. I mean, that goes on every day. Um, there's single women who have um, in implanted and use sperm donors. So, I mean, it's, it's not that you can't have a child only through conception of physical sex. There's, that's been going on for years. It's just that you're making that responsible decision when you make that choice to have in vitro fertilization, use a surrogate mother or have a uterine transplant and continue to conceive on your own. That's a, a medical decision that that couple's making responsibly to raise up that child and be responsible for raising it anyone else by the way emily i just had a question you because you might because since you were talking about it you might know this better than i do but in in vitro fertilization isn't it the case that they take a somewhat shotgun approach where they try to fertilize multiple eggs and then pick one to implant and then throw the others away yeah i'm sorry did you say yes or no yes they they, they do they, yeah they, so that's they that, that's why will take and and get fertilized and start d division so let's go ahead so, that's why, so there's also there's so john people have, john yeah. just wait right. um go ahead so we have someone from hawaii please um make your comment and question we'll have different people who haven't spoken on our on, on the round table also ask go ahead thanks dr shiva um i just wanted to to address the one fellow who said it was just a clump of cells and the gal who addressed um, that it's, um, um, it speaks to your system's thinking in that, um, in that reductionist thinking, um, looking at just one point instead of understanding, you know, the system involved in creating a life, the values individuals share regarding life, the responsibility involved. Um, and the system that we live in um, that makes it possible uh, to support and take care of, you know, uh, of a life from, from conception. That's all I wanted to share. 
Yeah, so you're bringing up a very a nice point. So I think the question here is the, and I think this is where we started from, and I want to have Ken make his points. Ken and uh, Suresh, you guys have been pretty quiet. Um, but if we can go back to the entire discussion, is that we want to take this whole systems approach, right? What occurred before the 10 years, 20 years before that child was conceived and what happens 80 years after? So Suresh, do you have any points? And I'm going to bring the next person. Thank you very much. Very important observation. Go ahead, Suresh. Yeah, I, I wanted to address uh, the first, I think the first caller who said was from Italy and was uh, Buddhist. Uh, it was a very disturbing uh, statement that I heard like, um, the child is just going to suffer, so it's just okay to kill it. I mean, I think Buddha said life is suffering. Uh, and uh, he, he said, like, for example, you're not going to be healthy forever. You, you're going to get sick, you're going to become weak, and you're going to die. So uh, just because life is going to be suffering, uh, that is a very bad excuse to uh, just kill somebody. And uh, I also remember an article like 10 years ago, they said, uh, you need two Earths to support the population that we have right now. I think that's how they got me <laughs> from not having kids. Um, so I think that's when I decided, okay, uh, we have too much population. But um, yeah, the comment and the other person who called said, who was born in 1962 and said it was thankful to be born here. Uh, so that's what we need. We need to create an infrastructure, an environment where people can thrive. They can realize their full potential, realize, okay, life is suffering, but we need to give them tools. We need to cultivate them. Uh, we need to provide infrastructure where they can realize their full potential to be a human. Uh, like that person said, I'm so happy I was not aborted. Like she said, I have a purpose in life. So that's what we need to create. We need to come together. We need to unite. We have to work on infrastructure. We have to create an environment where any kid thinks I can innovate. I can become any person I want. I can drive my destiny. Uh, that is what we need to focus on. Uh, the idea that, okay, life is, child is going to suffer. So let's just kill it. Uh, we should take that option away. Uh, from people. We should create an environment where anybody can thrive, any, anybody can become what they want. And this idea that like you came from periphery, you did not come from the center. So any kid should know that, okay, I can innovate, I can do anything in my life. So we need to create such an environment. We need to build infrastructure. Uh, that uh, That's what I wanted to add. Dr. Shiva, you're muted, sorry. Those are good points. I also think I, that- I, I'm sorry, I just wanted to make this one point to Suresh. I think what's happened is in the United States, this left-right narrative has basically said, oh, the left owns the concept of giving basic needs to people. You know, they're fighting to make sure people have basic needs. That's a left issue. And the right is a one that is about making sure security happens, right? The family and, um, you know, like the right to bear arms, all that. And the reality is you can actually stand for both. And this is this bullshit that's happened over the years. So the reality is saying that you want basic needs is not a left or right wing issue. But the right wingers get brainwashed whereas Republicans. Oh, well, you know, everyone should be able to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Da, 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 da. So they just are in this brainwashing. But 
you know, we have roads, we have the postal mail system, we have some basic infrastructure, which should include education. Why should a kid have a birth lottery? He's born into a certain family and he gets to go to the best private clubs and have tennis and the best organic foods. And the other kid has to live in the ghettos, right? Something doesn't never felt right about that. Okay. And that's not a left or right issue, but for some reason it's been made a left issue. If you want basic infrastructure and equality for all, it's not, it's a human thing, right? And then the right wing issue, which has been apparently owned by the right, which they don't own, you know, security, the right for you to able to protect your family, you know, which has been an age old thing that goes back tens of thousands of years, whether it be a, a gun or a spear or something to not go and rampantly shoot people. That's, that is not a right wing issue. So we've created these very false divisions. That's why we wanted to have this conversation today. It's beyond pro-life, some one group owns and pro-choice. Everyone I think wants pro-life and everyone wants pro-choice. So let's bring this uh, uh, person in. I'm sorry, uh, go ahead, please introduce yourself and where are you, where are you from? And then we'll, Emily had a comment, go ahead. Andy, I'm from Pennsylvania. Yes, Andy, go ahead. Well, I just uh, basically have two points. Um, I just want to talk about um, uh, the founder of Planned Parenthood, which uh, she was uh, supposed to be a eugenics as well. And um, she basically was aiming at black people, you know, to eliminate and to bring down the population of blacks by doing these, these whole bunch of stuff, eugenics, you know, in terms of vaccines and abortions as well. So that, you know, that plays a big part of the abortion aspect to it is eugenics, is bringing down the population. That's one point. And the second point is, in terms of women, you know, and their health, just the process on the, the abortion, I mean, it's insane, right? They stick a machine, you know, in their private parts, and basically, you know, they use these machines, it's like a suction machine, and they suck the fetus out of the, uh, the woman's uh, uterus, which is insane, correct? And I just want to get your guys' perspective on it, and maybe you can elaborate more on, on what I just uh, mentioned. Yeah, thank I you. It, thank you. Yeah, thank you very, very much. Thanks for sharing your observation. So, who wants to sh- uh, talk about that? Ken? Ken, you have anything? You've been quiet. I want to make sure. Ken, go ahead. I mean, I agree. I do feel like it's a very barbaric procedure. Um, okay. Well, it, it doesn't. It doesn't just uh, pose risk for the infant. It poses risk for the the mother receiving the abortion as well, both physically and emotionally. And that is also a risk that they're taking when they sign to consent to an abortion. They're they're consenting to the risk involved for their own life, not just their infant's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jill? It's, a, it's a very harmful procedure. It increases your risk for cancer, for a number of problems. So it's not, there's no such thing as a safe abortion. It is, it is very violent and it always results in the loss of life. And I think it's very important that we define as biology has that we, you know, it's, it's not a club of cells, it is a life. You are terminating that life, whether you like it or not. And that needs to be just plain and simple to understand. And it is true that Margaret Singer was very racist and that they target the um, they target black neighborhoods with these clinics. And it is there is a real racism that is happening that encourages these women 
um, basically to not want to keep their children. And that is wrong. There is a racism there. I think that should be also addressed. It's that's where it originated. And maybe now it's everyone's using it. But this was a target demographic and that we need to recognize that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I just want I wanted to bring this up before, but let me just show a um, couple. Um, and again, this is to go again. Our goal in having this conversation is to take a systems approach to go beyond the pro-life pro-choice dialectic, which rips people apart. But I just wanted to share this one. Uh, this is out of Princeton University. This is a list compiled here. This is all the research papers um, which illustrate that a new embryo starting, the starting point human life comes into existence with the formation of the one-celled zygote, which means right after conception. And this is paper after paper after paper. And, and these are published in you know leading medical journals, okay? This, uh, essentially, these papers, you know, essentially not only give a consensus, but basically the physics and the biological science that life begins at conception. So there shouldn't really even be an argument about this. And if the certain people have um, uh, this thing that's just a clump of cells, I think they basically need to go study basically basic biology 101. So that's just to get over that. But that still doesn't let the pro-life people off the hook. Okay, if you're pro-life, you know, we have a lot of people in the politics who are pro-life, but politicians, but many of them are fine with Monsanto polluting people, fine with Monsanto poisoning the world, fine with Monsanto, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The same guys who say they're pro-life. So I find this, that's a hypocrisy. Um, go ahead, um, uh, John or Jill or Crystal. There's a couple of other people I just want to bring on who we missed. Well, I do also think that, you know, someone who is conceived from rape, for instance, their life is still valuable. We shouldn't, um, you know, shun people from society because of their origin story. We also shouldn't look down on people for being born into poverty. We shouldn't shame women into abortion because they don't have the means. It's, it's your walk of life is your walk of life. And you have no guarantee that you're gonna suddenly be very successful for getting an abortion or you're gonna be in poverty for not getting an abortion. These factors are not set in stone. So we need to eliminate those and we need to focus on the systemic issues as we're trying to discuss so that there is the opportunity for people to really have the choice of life and you know, have that pro-choice, pro-life. Yeah, so let's, uh, thank, thank you, Jill. So we have someone right from Lynn, Massachusetts here. Go ahead. We have someone from Lynn. No, actually, Russ, I'm from Weymouth. Oh, Weymouth. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, my phone says Lynn. So the whole abortion thing, um, like I'm definitely, you know, I think the problem is the lack of taking care of families. Like, I feel like if we took care of our families, brought in more religion, more Christ, I think things would turn around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting you, you, you take, and I think a bunch of the people I've seen on the comments said in many of these poor countries, I mean, Suresh and I come from India, okay? Yep. India is about 1.3 billion people. But in India, there's a huge, huge, I mean, by and large, you have, I mean, fam, you have this extended families, families are involved. There's a deep uh, religious sense of the reverence for life. The poorest people have two or three kids, right? And they right. somehow figure out how to take care of those kids. So, yeah, absolutely. yeah, so in, but I do know, you know, in the United States, 
that infrastructure has basically gone. It doesn't really, it's, it's, it, it's, you know, um, you know, when I used to do a lot of work with some very interesting companies, CEOs, many yep. of these CEOs had kids. They never even saw the kids. The kid gets born, the kid gets a nanny, the nanny takes care of the kid, the kid gets sent to boarding school and the kids basically hate the parents because they never had any life. Now, on a poor family, you'll find the kids and the parents are very, very close because they didn't have the nanny and this and that and all those things. So it's a very interesting situation. But ultimately, you have some infrastructure where the kid can grow up in that supports a kid. And yeah, that I mean, I'm one of 11 kids. I see. And yeah, so I get what you're saying. Yeah, so I think it's the infrastructure. So I think if we look in the United States, because you don't have the family structure anymore. You don't have extended families. It's become a very nuclear family. I would argue it's much harder to be a mom and dad in the United States. In India, you have, even in these poor, you have this extended family, your grandparents or uncles and aunts that can help with the rearing of a child. Yeah. Um, even though it's a poor country. In the United States, a mother and father have a child. They really don't have, like friends are not going to take care of your kids. The if you have aunts and uncles, they probably live halfway around because you, you have this nuclear family, which we don't have a pretty good. I, I don't think we really thought through how much. I don't think we've had a nuclear family for probably 30 years, at least in this country. Well, what I mean, it used by, to be like that. Yeah. But what I mean by is there used to be the, the you know, the extended family mother, the grandparents. Yeah, I'm sorry, the extended family. Yeah. 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 And that was in some ways probably a much more natural model. The nuclear family is a very, very isolating model. It's much yeah. harder to have a child in a nuclear family. But thank you yeah. for your comments. All right. Um, are you running for governor? Well, <laughs> I explored it and I came to the conclusion um, that it's really important to build a bottoms up movement. Right. That what's more is so to everyone listening, we're building our movement for truth, freedom, and health. A number right. of people said, hey, Dr. Shiva. And the other thing is, you know, from what I uncovered from the election systems, it made me recognize that I would be misleading people unless, you know, to a system that's actually very corrupt. From what I discovered, as you know, in the lawsuits that we won and the ballot images yep. get destroyed, it's really elections are selections, particularly in Massachusetts. But, you know, one area that's the opportunity is the write-in campaign. If people wanted to people said oh i'm going to write you in i said okay go for it you know if you if, if you guys write me in and i you know people want it because a write-in vote is counted by hand it's much fairer so people have ha called me and i've basically said look if you guys you can do what you want but it's really an opportunity for a bottoms up movement now so we're focusing on building our movement right now it's not we're leaving out electoral politics but the most important thing is we need to build a movement for truth freedom and health so wherever you are, you should become a warrior. Uh, let me put up that sign. Um, I, if you notice, I was running this banner, truthfreedomhealth.com. So um, before we close, but thank you. Um, All right, yeah, I'm writing you in. Okay, yeah, okay. You're the best, man. Thank okay, bye-bye, be well. So why don't I finish up, to all of you listening, the reason we wanted to do this conversation today, uh, we've been at it for about an hour and a half, so I'm just going to finish up with our round table. The reason we wanted to do this was, um, if you guys can wrap up what you thought about the call in Suresh, Crystal, John, um, and, you know, what you guys, you know, what the Truth, Freedom and Health movement means to you. 
and how, you know, in this conversation, you think we should elevate the conversation to bring working people together. And, and you know, the principles you learn from the movement that you use even in this discourse. Uh, let me start with Ken. Go ahead, Ken. Ken, are you there? Ken, maybe you can just talk about what you've learned from the Truth From Health movement and how you use it, or even in this conversation. Um, Truth From Health uh, movement is uh, about system science, and it's um, it just helps with everyday life, really, um, to figure things out and um, move past the dialectic of pro versus anti and um, right, uh, left versus right. Thanks, Ken. Let's go to uh, Crystal. Go ahead, Crystal. Um, yeah, thanks for doing this today or tonight, Dr. Shiva. Uh, I liked everybody who called in, had something, you know, important to share, uh, whether we didn't agree with every little uh, detail on that. But it's a great start to actually have a conversation about moving beyond left and right, what that actually means people should be able to view this video and say, okay, here's a group of people talking about things that are not being discussed that need to be discussed. And, you know, maybe they should quit repl replicating whatever they're seeing on the news or whatever they're seeing on Facebook, sharing memes and just reducing everything down to, you know, one little thing. And I know we've talked about it many times already, Emily and Jill and others um, in the, in the comments have said, you know, women, um, everybody probably knows at least one person that has had an abortion. And to say that that person felt good about it is probably inaccurate to say the least. And I don't think I've always felt that something that was never being brought to the table is the trauma that the mother would be carrying afterwards. Jill shared a very important story about um, a friend of hers who did that and it broke up her entire family and she's nowhere to be found. And she tried to you know, numb herself with drugs because she felt so much guilt. And if we care about life or we care about choice, we would not want someone to have to choose such a such an outcome, right? Um, but I'm sure the girl felt like she didn't have a choice at, at some point or various points along that journey. And so um, thanks for, you know, having this conversation with uh, such enlightened people. Uh, the course has taught everybody on here to uh, move beyond that dialectic and um, trying to come up with ways to speak to our family, friends, and coworkers about real issues that actually affect working people and not um, fall into the, the buckets that they've made for us. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Shiva. Thanks, Crystal. People are saying what you said is very beautiful. Nope. So go ahead. Um, uh, John, what, what, what are your thoughts on how you know, the system science training, the truth from health movement, you know, in terms of your perspective in this dis discourse. I would like to point, I would like to point out that uh, the important interconnection of the, uh, of uh, the, the, the infrastructure solutions that we've been talking about and what you just talked, talked about with that most recent caller with the necessity to build a bottoms up movement, because it's clearly, it's clear that the elites are not going to put in this very necessary infrastructure. It all has to, whether you call it a bottoms-up movement or I call it a culture of life, um, uh, it, fu it fundamentally has to come from a, 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 a bottoms-up people self-organizing and doing it themselves. No one's going to come top-down and do it for us. Yep, great. 
And um, Jill, go ahead. Yeah, I think that system science is very powerful in that it allows you not to just reduce these issues to the single, for this conversation, it's not just about a fetus. It's about much more. It's about the mother. It's about the whole society, the infrastructure, why we have this, you know, forced kind of need for abortion. It allows us to kind of expand the conversation and to break through that dialectic and understand the whole picture. And it also makes it very clear that we need to fight for our economic opportunities and that there's a truth to things and we want truth, freedom and health. And we do that by organizing and we use the systems thinking so that we're not gonna be trapped into these limitations. And this movement is an educational based movement. And we really see there is a lack of understanding and that people need to increase their understanding, elevate their consciousness. And that really is through education. And this community is here to support anyone who wants that growth. And we are gonna to continue to grow. We hope that everyone joins us. Great, Suresh. What have you learned from the movement and how do you apply it? And, and I think you shared some very uh, poignant things, but go ahead and then we'll finish up with Emily. Um, so today's uh, talk was uh, um, really good. Um, I like that people called in. Um, the only thing uh, takeaway for me is um, that I would like to take away this option that, okay, let's just kill the this thing because life is going to be uh, suffering for that person and uh, they're not going to yield to anything. Like I would like to unite people so we can create an environment infrastructure where parents or kids do not feel that they cannot realize their full potential. They, they cannot know what it means to be a human um so i would like to focus on that uh and i would implore everybody that let's unite let's work on taking this option away that okay life is going to be suffering my kid is not going to have an infrastructure to thrive um let's fight for the marginalized let's not be divided let's unite beyond black and white beyond left and right uh, let's build this movement thanks Suresh and go ahead Emily before we close out um, I think system science helps us to hear the other side in, in a very um, open discourse so that um, there's, there's just that saying that, you know, you have to be silent to listen. They're both spelt with the same letters, but when we listen to the other side's opinions, it gives us the opportunity to hear them because um, it's hard to speak over somebody and still listen at the same time. And, and that's how we learn and grow is by listening and learning um, and system science um, helps us to give us that infrastructure to look at all three forces that are universal principles of transport conversion and storage to help us understand those basic principles when we're making those difficult decisions in life. And on this topic particularly, I think it's very important that whoever is having to make that difficult life-changing decision 
not only for yourself, but for another being, um, is to have that opportunity for you to be able to speak your emotions and have them verbalized and heard before you have to make that decision. Great. I think uh, uh, we have some very, very nice comments. Uh, in closing, we want to thank everyone for participating. First, I want to thank our panelists um, who participated today, uh, Suresh, uh, Crystal, John, Emily, Ken, uh, Jill Jones. I think what when you take this approach of system science, what emerges out of this is something very interesting. We all really want to be pro-life, but we also want the infrastructure so we can also support pro-choice, meaning we wanna be able to really give choice to life. So this is not a contradictory. We wanna give full choice to life. And that's what emerges out of disease. Divisions is dialectic of I'm pro-life, I'm pro-choice, and by the way, these are very, very thin reductionist models, is really created to have people fighting. The elites love that. Meanwhile, working people can really have both. They can have, they can be fighting for pro-life and ensuring that we have infrastructure so we can make choices. The kid can make, it's re, you really have a choice, right? Uh, the reality is, I would argue 80% of the world doesn't really have choice right? Uh, the choice is imposed on them. Uh, I'm sure Elon Musk's kids have choice, right? Jeff Bezos' kids have choice, right? But um, not everyone has these choices. So if we want to really be pro-life, we should fight for the choice for all people, which comes from infrastructure and economic, you know, equality to some sense, basic equality. That's what emerges. Um, so I think this is a very good conversation. Um, again, once again, thanks. Um, I, I'll finish up with playing a video, and this video is what we call really our Truth From Health video. It really uh, summarizes what our movement's about, and we invite everyone to go to truthfreedomhealth.com or vashiva.com slash join and become a warrior scholar. We need uh, to educate the world, and that's what, to Suresh's very poignant view, that's, how, that's what's going to bring people together. And the pro-life, pro-choice debate has nothing to do with pro-life or pro-choice. It's essentially so division, which needs <laughs> leads not to life nor to choice. So let me finish up with this video. And uh, thank you, everyone. I'll come right back, but let's finish up. We have allowed our country to be taken over from within. And the end goal is you will have a homogenized world where we will become slaves because there is a condition among the elites that really thinks they're better than you. Deep down inside them that you don't deserve the freedoms you have. They don't. This reality is what people need to wake up to. And we need to all unite working people. There's only one movement that can do that. Mm -hmm. And that is the movement that we started creating here in Massachusetts, the movement for truth, freedom, and health. Look, I've been a student of politics since I was a four-year-old kid, studying revolutionary movements, left-wing, right-wing. There's a physics, there's a nuclear science to destroying the establishment. To build a bridge, you need to understand Newton's equation. You need to understand the laws of gravity. You need to understand Poisson's ratio. There is a way to build a revolution. And that's why I put this together. My goal is to train a army of truth, freedom, and health leaders. We don't need followers like social media. We need leaders, but they, they need training because the educational system does not teach them history, nothing. So in three hours, that's what I've started doing. That's the solution. Wow. We gotta train people. First with understanding what a system is. The second is understanding the interconnection between truth, freedom, and health. Freedom is the ability to move freely, communicate freely, right? Talk freely. Without freedom, 
You cannot convert ideas, hypothesis into truth, which is science. And without freedom, you can't really get to truth. And without truth, you make up fake problems and fake solutions, which means you destroy our health. And without health, which is the infrastructure of us and our body, you can't fight for freedom. Third concept is it has to be bottoms up, working people, people who work uniting. And what the right wing has done is whenever you say working people unite, that must be communist. Meanwhile, they've let the Democrats run unions, which suppress workers, completely corrupt. But when you look at the arc of American history, it's been when working people came up. We need to go local. Every solution I'm coming up with as a part of this movement, we're giving the science, which is the truth, and then we tell people what they can do on the ground. Like with election fraud, you don't need to wait for some lawyer. Our goal is to train people, Dave, to go local, to go local, to go local, fight locally. Forget lawyers, forget politicians, forget celebrities. You've got to learn politics, and there is a science to it. They lock us down, we should be ready to shut them down. And the fourth part of this principle is a not so obvious establishment. So when you look at a system, there's always something that disturbs you from getting to your goal. Well, the biggest disturbance is a not so obvious establishment, which are those people who claim they're for you on the left and the right. The Al Sharptons who tell black people I'm for you. The Tucker Carlson's. Do you think any true anti-establishment person will ever be on Fox or CNN? I don't think so. They both mislead working people back into the establishment without this solid understanding of political physics and theory, you're screwed. You're going to follow on the, the left wing, Bernie Sanders, oh, he said something, or Robert Kennedy, scumbags. Or you're going to follow, you know, some right wing talk show host. They're not going to lead us to liberation. It's us. And that political physics, it's a nuclear science of change. Bottoms up. We have to organize to understand that there is people who talk a good game and then look at what they actually do, left and right. I'm sorry, Sean Hannity may say some good things, but I don't see the urgency in his voice to get something done. And it can only come when you weaponize yourself with the right knowledge. You need to be able to identify a rat. You know, Christ didn't go after the Romans, right? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who screwed him up. His own quote unquote people. And that's where we're at. So these four concepts I've built into a curriculum. People can go to vashiva.com and it's an educational program. We need to train people in political theory. You need to have physics. And I've created that curriculum. People need to get educated. We need to get educated fast. And within a half an hour, an hour, I can teach people. Two years of MIT control systems, I teach people those concepts. Then I apply it, anyone can understand it. And then you say, oh, I gotta build a bottoms up movement. They have to get politically astute, and then they have to go locally and act, not sit there on social media. They have to act locally, defy locally, be, do civil obedience locally, but with knowledge on how to build a movement. And the Senate campaign's expanded to the movement for truth, freedom, and health, and they can find it on Vias and Victor A. Shiva, vashiva.com, so people can sign in, they can get access to a bunch of videos. If they want to take a course and become a truth, freedom, and health leader, I offer a full scholarship there. But we want people to make a commitment that they'll study, that they'll get certified, that they'll go do activities on the ground. So go to VA Shiva, Victory America Shiva, VAShiva.com. All right, everyone. Thank you. I hope everyone has a good night. Everyone should go to where? TruthFreedomHealth.com and join this incredible community. 
And uh, we'll have uh, more of these events. Thank you, Emily. Thanks, John. Thanks, Jill. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Suresh. Thanks, Crystal. And thanks to all those people who called in and shared their uh, ideas. It's, it's not about agreeing with people. It's about moving the conversation forward. So we thank you. Be well, be the light. Thank you very much. Thank you again, everyone. Uh, have a good night.